1: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtzcast. Cole Petum here as always. And of course, we are back for another opposition match preview because Villa travel to London, of course, to play Chelsea on Saturday, 5.30 p.m. kickoff UK time, if I can pronounce that properly. And of course, we need... An opposition fan to get this chat going or you'd be sat listening to me talk about this for 20 minutes by myself and we all know no one wants to listen to that so of course we do have dan from the london is blue podcast so without further ado dan how's it going
0: it's going great you know it's nice to be done with another international break during a pandemic which doesn't make a whole lot of sense and i'm sure we'll get into the ramifications of that on the villa side primarily but yeah, it's uh, it's great to be on and uh, good to talk about actual Premier League football again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It feels like it's always like a mini vacation when you have these little international breaks. And then at some point, I, at least for myself, speaking for myself, um, I feel a little bit lost after a little while thinking, okay, when's Villa coming back? When's at least some league football coming back? Because... I mean, from our standpoint, from the U.S. and Canadian standpoint, maybe more so the Canadian standpoint, it's not always the greatest to watch at times international football. So um, I'm sure you guys could probably go on and rant about that with how things are going on the U.S. side for football. But nonetheless, I'm not here to, to gloat for once in my international supporting life for Canada. But let's get over to uh, kind of why you supported Chelsea. It's kind of one of those things that we don't often have um, – fans from across the pond as they like to say in the UK on this Um, aside from me of course uh, being a Canadian so as an American why did you choose Chelsea or why did they choose you per se well
0: it was definitely a me choosing them type thing but it really becomes the them choosing you as you deepen that relationship and I really kind of fell in love with the way that Michael Bollock played and when he went to the Premier League and played for Chelsea I went and started following Chelsea and it's been quite the ride. And so we've been doing our podcast now for seven seasons. So we've seen absolute highs and the, the lows and the lows for Chelsea are like sacking a manager and then going on to win something else, which is quite magical and quite chaotic. And look, it's, it's like a Shakespearean tragedy that plays out for rooting for a club. And it's quite wonderful. And uh, we actually were, At the Champions League final in Porto uh, back in May, and that was a whirlwind to get there and absolutely the highlight of my, you know, maybe one of the top two or three days in my life. uh, And that, you know, is accounting my my wedding day, too. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a joy to follow Chelsea.
1: Yeah, you have to throw the wedding day in there, of course. If someone hears that, you might be in a little bit of trouble. But uh, I do have to touch on there. You say you did travel to the Champions League final. How much of a nightmare was it for that traveling portion of that? It was quite terrible because
0: the two other co-hosts I have, Brandon and Nick, they actually had no issue traveling out. And I got blocked trying to leave Boston to get into Amsterdam and then Amsterdam into Porto. And so I ended up spending an extra almost 24 hours in the U.S. and ended up getting there 10 a.m. the morning of the match. And, you know, by 11 o'clock after a quick shower and uh, change of clothes and a coffee, we were on the beers and uh, chanting with the other blues in our kind of zoned area of the city. But, uh, yeah, the travel was not ideal, but champagne problem to have the luxury of getting to go to a champions league final when a lot of people couldn't because of all of the travel restrictions exorbitant ticket prices and everything else that comes with the the way that these type of international tournaments and uh finals are structured
1: yeah for sure and i mean it could be worse you could show up the day after it all happens and you're there yeah. basically for uh Maybe a little bit of post-match celebrations, but it wouldn't be exactly the same thing, of course. And uh, I guess kind of when you mentioned as well there with your uh, history of supporting Chelsea. We have all know it's kind of a managerial merry-go-round every few seasons with Chelsea, um, used to it, used to seeing it in the news. Um, I would much rather take that than our fortunes in the last decade, but nonetheless, that is what it is to be a Villa fan. So I guess with Thomas Tuchel, um, it's fair enough to probably say he's done a fantastic job so far winning the champions league, but this season in particular, small sample size, of course, two wins and a draw, but how do you find his job so far and how do you find the, really the team's kind of performances?
0: Strong manager, you know, we actually were looking back in some archival work and we actually found a podcast from 2018 right before Chelsea appointed Mauricio Sari, where we were we were all of us asking for Thomas Tuchel's available. Why wouldn't we go after him? Why wouldn't we try to sign him? And just how prescient we must have been to speak that into existence a couple of years earlier. But, you know, he came at the right time. You know, he came into a Chelsea side back in January that was a little bit in crisis that had, you know, an ability to go score, but no ability to actually stop goals from going in, completely reconfigured the side kind of from the back forward and made a side that it's just really tough, tough to play against. I mean, not only is it a, we don't allow in a lot of goals. You don't get a lot of high quality shot opportunities. Um, And so you have to make the three or four shots potentially on target that your team or your side might have count. Otherwise you're probably going home with no goals in your name. And so, I mean, even, you know, this season, again, small sample size, right? Because we're talking about three matches, one against Liverpool, one against a, a mid table relegation zone arsenal side, which I think we all can enjoy a little bit of humor there and a crystal palace side. If, if anything looks like it'll be fun to watch this season, uh, up until the point where it all crumbles and Patrick Vera ends up getting fired for whatever reason, but I will enjoy Connor Gallagher getting tons of minutes as a loanie there. We should have conceded according to kind of just the general stats, 3.3 goals so far this season. And we've conceded one goal from the penalty spot, uh, which Definitely was a penalty. Uh, I will not say that the Reese James hand motion, arm motion was anything other than trying to get in the way of the ball. But I, we just don't, we don't concede a lot of opportunities to to score against us. And I, I am someone who enjoys the identity of Chelsea being a stupid, a super stubborn bastardly side that is absolutely infuriating to play against. I don't need the sexy football. I absolutely want to see us just be absolutely. Painful to play against, and so in my mind, Thomas Tuchel is the perfect type of manager for this Chelsea side.
1: Yeah, and it kind of—I mean, it is a very small sample size of as we both said, and it does really this season for Chelsea already has that kind of uh, feeling of Mourinho's last title-winning season with you guys. You might not score loads of goals, but you're not going to concede barely any. So, in that way, you know what—you win games, you win championships. It's happy days at the end of the day. So. I have to respect that coming from a very counter-attacking side, which conceded the most, almost the most goals a few seasons ago in our first season back to last season being just a whirlwind of successes in terms of where we finished. And this season, just having the plague of injuries I've never seen like such before, but, uh, The one thing I do want to talk about when it comes to Chelsea is what's kind of the level of expectation within the fan base. I know, of course, we talked about Tuchel, Lukaku's back. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that a lot of people will look at. You guys had a lot of uh, players enter last summer as well. And who really knows what's going to go on with Timo Werner Will he finally find his uh, scoring legs once again. But from your kind of perspective, uh, where does this team sit with you and your kind of expectations?
0: So, I think the expectation for this season is extremely high. We ended on a magical run into the champions league final and won the champions league. We did the business in the super cup. We have the club world cup coming up in December, wherever they decide to play that now that it's not going to be happening in Japan. So you would argue that we should have a minimum two trophies for the season. I would imagine and hope that we should go very deep in one of, if not both of the, domestic cups Uh, you know we obviously have a uh, a second time that we'll be playing Villa in short fashion in that regard Uh, at that point you might have your full complement of players available too which is you know why this one might not might feel like a preview or a prelude sort of to what actually could transpire in a couple weeks time Um, and I don't think any one of the top four five typical teams that you would declare as the title contenders, whether it's United having a kind of light midfield, uh, whether it's city, not having a recognized striker, whether it's, I mean, I guess you could say Tottenham are in there right now until they're not, because they are, you know, when, until they bottle it, which they won't invariably do. And Liverpool is a bit of an age side, so an injury could creep in. And if you lose Van Dijk again, if you lose Mosala, that's kind of the, the team there. There's not a perfect side. And so I think that actually it is super obtainable to say that if Chelsea can maintain their defensive structure while also finding the right type of form for Lukaku, seeing him get off to the type of scoring that we have seen him get into the past three, four, five years. I mean, he hasn't had a sub 20 goal season, but once in the last six years. So in general, that leads me to believe that the goal deficit we had last season should resolve itself here. And cause he did have success at United as well, even in some teams that really didn't play to his strengths. So I think the absolute, everything's kind of on the table this season, which feels really exciting, but also uh, is terrifying at the same time because you don't want it to go bad because it's been on this really, really high ride and uh, turning, it could turn sour as quick as milk on the counter.
1: Yeah. So to be fair, you kind of took the question right out of my mouth. And like I've said before with Chelsea, it's short termism in terms of success, but of course you guys loan out what feels like a million players every year and make, crazy amounts of profit that way, which a lot of clubs like Villa are now trying to adapt to, and it's more self-sustainable, but kind of going back to what I want to discuss, is there always that kind of feeling in the back of your mind saying, could this go wrong no matter on the season?
0: There's always a possibility. I would say this is, I'm more confident about this team of players and the chemistry that's been generated. When you look at plenty of players who have come up from Cobham who have the understanding of what it means to be a Chelsea player, kind of the identity. I'm sure it's the same when you have someone from the Villa Academy who comes up through it, you feel like that adds a little bit of extra spark to a side because they understand this, the concept of playing for the badge, right? They're not just a, a hired gun. Who's come into your side. And, you know, don't be wrong. Chelsea have that too. We have some top international footballers who we've brought in to do a job and they're doing that very, very well. Um, you know, I think the, the big thing for me is, you know, I, N'Golo Kante, if he goes out injured for a prolonged period of the season, I don't think he'll play every single match of this season. He's just not at that fit and form anymore. That's not kind of who he is, but for those big matches, those big European nights, those top four clashes, if he's available for those, I think that we can kind of get very, very far. I, I do think the signing of Saul is helpful as a stopgap solution until whatever may happen next season. But it doesn't fill me with all the confidence because N'Golo Kante is such a special player that to me, more so than anyone, if he is out for a prolonged period of time, that's where I start to pencil in a little bit of doubt in my mind. And I'm sure other Chelsea fans would as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you guys got him for as much as you did all those years ago is probably still, like if he went now at the age he did then, he's at least 70 million, if not more just based on how ridiculous prices are.
0: Well, we overpaid for Danny Drinkwater, So I feel like we made it up in the end. So we had had that experience
1: one season. (laughs) That's okay. He decided to punch one of his teammates and then just kind of never decided to show up again. So good luck in the championship, Danny. Hope you're doing well, but (laughs) um, you know what though, in kind of a funny way to look at it. I mean, we do seem to loan some of the players that don't work out for you in hopes that it does. And, Ross Barkley being the best example that did. And then I don't know if it was COVID or whatever, just didn't work out at the end, but you know what you have these ones that are hit and miss. So you know what you guys have definitely had more hits than misses as of late. That's for sure. But I guess when you look at injuries or suspensions, of course, we've already uh, mentioned James being out through suspension. Um, Conte still a question mark. Uh, I also heard something about Lukaku, uh, Lukaku being a question mark as well. Is that, is there any truth in that?
0: He looks like he's been back at training, obviously we're recording this on the Thursday. So it's ahead of the managerial press conferences before the match. So something could be updated, but he did have a tweak to his, I think it's his thigh or his hamstring during his international break for Belgium, but he also got a yellow card right after he scored so that he gets subbed off. So it, it looked a little premeditated in that regard and maybe just a way to get him back uh, early as a favor, but um, I, I feel like it's a type of thing where he's a big game, you know, he's a big game player. If, he, if he's available in any capacity, he wants to go out and play. And I, I think Tuchel will help make that happen for him if it's the case.
1: Eh, fair enough. I just just wanted a little bit of hope, to be honest, because I think if Werner's the one up top, I have a little bit more faith. He might just miss an absolute sitter. Lukaku, not so much. I guess if we look at the last time that Villa have won at Stanford Bridge, that would be December thirty first, twenty eleven. Uh, Stephen Ireland, Stelian Petrov, and Darren Bent scored, of course, replying to uh, Didier Drogba's opening penalty Um, it's been a long time since then we've had a relegation since then and a lot of other sufferings I think of the 8-0 smashing a few years later uh, was not pretty viewing that time Last season, of course, we split honors at the bridge one all. And of course, we won two one at Villa Park in a game that you guys were mentally checked out. In my opinion, you're looking at the Champions League. It's end of the season, basically. So who's really going to put too much focus on that? But when you're going into this game in particular, because I know you guys have Zenit on the, I think, Tuesday. And then shortly after that, the following weekend, you have Spurs. So when you look at this game, what kind of Chelsea side do you expect to play?
0: Yeah. If I'm thinking about who ends up getting to play, there probably is some level of rotation given the amount of international minutes that occurred. You know, I I do think, you know, Conte probably gets rested. Uh, I think that, you know, you might see Saul's been in training. He was playing for Madrid before the break. He didn't go on an international duty, so he could potentially slot right into a partnership with maybe Jorginho in the midfield. Uh, This could be the opportunity for, Ben Chilwell to come back into the side, even though he hasn't played any, but he needs to get embedded back in at some point. I mean, Reese James is out. So I would imagine that we probably push as forward to the right wing back role. And that means Trev Chalba probably comes back in. Uh, obviously the Thiago Silva, all the Brazilians is it's kind of a really weird situation right now. So I don't think he would be involved in the match. Christensen, Absolutely, just a rock back there right now. It's been quite wonderful to watch his rise. Rudiger, uh, Mendy. And then I think you have Lukaku, Mount, and Havertz would be my my most likely kind of thing. You could see, I mean, you could potentially... Try Werner or try Adoy for a little bit up there, uh, you know, against, you know, with Lukaku and Havertz to give Mount maybe a little rest. You know, he's someone who has played, you know, more minutes than, you know, of, of football maybe than I've watched in, you know, one whole year in, in like in 10. Um, so <laughs> uh, I just, I, I, you know, for the long-term health and, you know, just kind of trying to man manage this team appropriately, you know, we could play high 50s to low 60s in matches this season if we go deep in every cup run and it's going to require some really impressive squad management which Tuchel has shown an ability to do and uh, yeah so I I do think you'll see a couple players uh, potentially like Trev Taliba, who you know you and and Villa have maybe have not had a chance to see yet but I think he will uh you know there's some impressive uh, talent that's still coming out of Cobham that uh, could do the business in that back line
1: Yeah, and it's one of those successes of loaning players out for long enough and then get that valuable experience in the championship or lower, and it pays off dividends in the future, that's for sure, 100%. I guess the one thing I kind of look at from the Villa perspective at least, and like I've said, injuries is a plenty at the moment. A lot of players, including Leon Bailey coming back, So we really don't know who is going to start, to be honest. We've had uh, Ashley Young play left-mid, left-back, and in in the central midfield, which I've never seen before. Uh, But nonetheless, he's uh, held that pretty well at the age of 36, which is pretty mental. But uh, it should be interesting. It's really, from my perspective, hard to predict any Villa side right now, given the amount of injuries uh both Emmys Emmy Buendia and Martinez 100% missing this game with that whole craziness that went on in Brazil on the weekend and if you want to give your thoughts on that in a moment feel free to do so because we were literally in the midst of recording our um kind of international podcast and just kind of have a general chat and that was all kicking off so one mental thing from another but uh yeah it's one of those games and i look at and i think of course we have chelsea then everton and then you guys again in the cup and it's going to be interesting in my perspective to see how we both line up on saturday versus how we line up on that wednesday to see not necessarily what's the priority but in terms of kind of tactical finesse maybe is one more important than the other i guess in one kind of instance than the other but uh yeah, do you have any thoughts on that mental uh, Brazil Argentina match? Since I thought I'd give you the floor to do so, <laughs> it just in general, I think the whole idea
0: of international football right now makes zero sense. And so the fact that we weren't looking at, you know, longer summer window or more matches during summer when teams were already together to try and get ahead of this problem. Like There's just a lot wrong with with FIFA, a lot wrong with UEFA, and uh, they continue to make the wrong decision usually for for the benefit of sponsors and for the benefit of their own calendars and objectives and not thinking about uh, the players, their families, their friends. Um, their loved ones and the impact of this travel and a pandemic situation. Uh, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not sure what your audience's uh, perspective is on all that. And so I won't go too far into my, my feelings or opinions on a lot of things, but I just think in general, like it's, it's a super unfortunate that no one thought about this beforehand and said, Hey, this is what's going to happen. We shouldn't do this when all Premier League teams together said, Hey, we don't want you doing this we are refusing to release certain players and then players decided to do something of themselves it just really is a very it's unfortunate to put players in that position and clubs in that position because the governing body is making a decision that actually is in the is really anti-competitive because it's then forcing clubs like villa to have to do something different in the way that they're acting because now they don't have players available that most likely should have been available if we had made a smarter decision.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I think COVID gets brought up in every podcast we've done since it's really been to the forefront of humanity as a whole. So uh, no shock to the listeners that we at least brought it up once. And I mean, I, I share the same mindset that you do. The fact that the focus is international football at all, when you have, people that can't even see their families from across cities still there's people are terrified still to leave their homes it's it's mind-boggling to me but nonetheless it's the people with money that like to do all the free stuff and talk the talk and walk the walk so nonetheless that that is life and I don't want to get too much into that because I I could go down a a rabbit hole that I'm sure you could too but I guess to kind of uh Put you on the spot here if you're going to uh mentally go back into this match on Saturday, what would your score prediction be?
0: I think Chelsea went to nothing. Uh, I think with Emmy being out, even though there's always like the oh, the backup goalkeeper always just you know, excels, right? It's that's just that's absolute lunacy. Uh, I, I think in general, um, you know, this is going to be the same. The same kind of reintroduction for Lukaku against the same side. I think there's just a lot of positive energy and momentum that way. And yeah, I, I just I feel good about it. I, the two players that would have scared me the most in in the Emmys are not in this match, and so uh, maybe I will feel differently in <laughs> in a weeks plus time when we're talking about what happens in the next match. But. Um, for this one, the, the biggest threats that I felt like were going to be uh, be involved are not uh, in the match. And so uh, that gives me additional peace of mind.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting one. Um, I kind of put something out on Twitter earlier today just to kind of see what Villa fans thought. And you do get your mixed reactions. And I think if this was two seasons ago, it would have been, okay, well, let's just try not to get absolutely brutalized. Last season, it was a little bit of uncertainty, but with a little bit of confidence and the amount of people that are just saying, as long as they go for it, as long as they're expressing themselves and as long as it's close, I'm happy with that. And I feel like from a Villa standpoint, it's It's very different from a couple seasons ago, and it's extremely different than it was um, prior to the 2015-16 relegation season. So it's good to see from that perspective. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with a 2-1 loss. We just don't play very well at the bridge. Um, And of course, our difference maker last season, um, he who shall not be named, is not here anymore. Um, Thank you for the money. Uh, if you want to say Voldemort, I guess you can call him now with some fans. Um, I try not to bring his name up if you probably get who I'm talking about, Dan, but <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the 100 million pound man. Yeah, well, yeah. we can let that one uh, you know, not
0: that we don't have to name him.
1: That's fine. yeah, exactly. So everyone knows who I'm talking about um, try not to talk about him too much, to be honest, because then people complain too much. But what can you do? So nonetheless, though, it, it should be an interesting match. And I think it's one of those that people look at and maybe say, is there bigger fish to fry looking into future games being so close so i think it's going to be more of a tactically kind of managed game more than anything and see who kind of comes out in terms of what changes are going to be made in flexibility and all that kind of stuff so it should be interesting but anyways before we wrap things up dan uh if you'd feel free to do so um feel free to plug anything
0: yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you have a Chelsea fan or individual in your life that you occasionally throw barbs against and you would like to recommend a podcast that they should listen to, because you're probably not going to be listening to it, is uh, the one in blue podcast uh, yeah, at London Blue Pod on Twitter, Instagram, all those fun places. But yeah, you should uh, let your blue tinted uh, friends know that uh, that's where they should go. Uh, potentially to, you know, lick our wounds if the uh you know unfortunate happens to us, but the fortune happens to you and your fans, uh, and Villa wins. Uh so yeah, that's what they should do.
1: Yeah. So basically if we somehow come out three nil winners, send all your abuse that way. Only kidding. Yeah, but- exactly. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> what one of those things I'll always say is uh do check them out, everyone that of course is listening. Um, every time I get someone new on, I always do my due diligence and listen to a few podcasts for a little bit, try to get the sense of, do they talk sense? Are they actually as good as maybe they proclaim to be? And these guys are that and more, um, your Twitter following is more than impressive and just backs that up. And I have to say from another North American to you, um, it's great to see, um, others doing well. And I know of course there is that little bit of, um, bias that people have about uh, non Brits kind of commenting on English football clubs, but nonetheless um, I'd like to say that's definitely being minimized year after year. And uh, you guys are definitely a good example of that, but uh Anyways, Dan, uh, we'll wrap things up there. Thank you very much for joining me. We'll have to do this again uh, later in the season. Hopefully, it's not two losses on the bounce in uh, within what just over a week for Villa. I'm sure it will be. I, I honestly wouldn't be shocked, but uh, yeah, we'll wrap things up there. Of course, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. And for any reason, you want to email us a story or whatever to read out on the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com we'll be back on the sunday you'll hear it on the monday for the chelsea recap but without further ado and don't forget up the villa